Please join me in prayer. Lord, you provide memories, opportunities for us to hook, uh, to hook the pictures and videos of life on to bring meaning to us in what we're doing here and now and into the future. And so we pray, Lord, that we would remember the main thing, the love of Jesus for the world and for us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the best ways if you work intensely with people to get rid of anxiety is to read. And sometimes it's interesting. I can get into a book and read and read and read and read and read. And other times it's not such a big deal. In the month of April, I read through three different books. And now I pick up a book and I even had a, a super thing that was right after World War II. And it was a fiction book. But, you know, fiction has its place too. But uh, I, I just couldn't get into it. There's certain authors that I'll read, and, and, and every time a book comes out from that author, I'll pick it up and read through it. I just read through John Ortberg's uh, book, which is hilarious, I'd Like You More If You Were More Like Me. But <laughs> seriously, uh, it's about intimacy and love. I can go a different direction with the sermon, but nah. It's... Sometimes when you read a book, the people the author quotes become, the, the, the author will quote the same couple people over and over again. And John Ortberg and Dallas Willard in their writings love to quote a man named G.K. Chesterton. That's a marvelous picture of Chesterton. And if you Google Chesterton, just about every picture looks like that. He needs a little brill clean or a haircut or something. He's a, he's a mess. But, but, but G.K. Chesterton had a way of twisting a phrase. He was a man who, he, he didn't write paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs. It was quips and quotes. And one of the favorite ones of him that I've read is this. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. Sometimes Christians make Christianity too tough because they go up the wrong tributary. Instead of staying in the main channel of faith, they paddle their way up a tributary of of, I don't know, some cultic following, some hot preacher, some political thing, and, and, and all of a sudden, they, they get their way to the end of that tributary, and there's nothing there except a bunch of canoes of disenfranchised people who thought they were going to find meaning in canoeing up this tributary of faith, and they moved themselves away from Jesus. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. Amen? Amen. Amen. But it has been found difficult and not tried. I like that as much as I like his hair. <laughs> and we've had 20th century religious hits. And as I think about 26 years in public ministry as a pastor in Orange County, I, I, I kind of crack up when I, when I think of some of these things. Some are pretty serious, but this one drove me nuts because it hit with the advent of email. The prayer of Jabez. Now, the, the, it's, it's amazing to me that someone could read in the Chronicles in the Old Testament, people could be reading that, that, the Chronicles for 2,000 years, but yet author Bruce Wilkinson could find something new after 2,000 years. And what the prayer was was basically an incantation. If you said this prayer, then you're going to be skinny, rich, and good-looking. 
Now, I prayed that prayer. <laughs> I had a lot of problems. But people would send me emails. Pastor, you have to preach on the prayer of Jabez, which if you ever send me an email like that, just rest assured I'll probably not preach on that ever until I die. <laughs> have you read that book? It's changed my life. Really? Because I read it and I thought it was bad theology and a little bit cultic and trite. Oh, pastor, you're not spiritual enough to understand the prayer of Jabez. <laughs> oh, great. I'll get on a 52-week sermon series on an 80-page book. People be delighted when we're singing, yeah, yeah, whatever. But the, the, the thing is here, that's not the main thing. The cultic little pieces and all little pieces of Christianity that are, become so popular, kind of blip up and blip down, that's not the main thing. And the prayer of Jabez is sitting over in the used bookstore and the used book part of the Lutheran High Thrift Store. There's probably 50 of them. I know I put two of them there myself. That's not the main thing. Politics is not the main thing. For about the last 50 years, maybe subtract five out of that, the last five, the church had aligned itself with political movement, political action. So you had your big Bible under one hand and your voting card on the other. And somehow the two were made to be equal. That if you voted this way, then clearly you were a better Christian than somebody else. And the amount of rancor that that caused, not just in our political system, but in, in, in America, actually created a rift between the generations, between my generation and the generation of my children. And that's tragic. Jerry Falwell and Ted Haggart were well-intentioned people, but both flawed and sinful like all of us. And when they figured out that we could not create a utopia or that somehow we would draw America back into a Christian culture again, then that whole thing kind of dissipated. And what happened with the students is, is the students who went to college and, and, and began to think and grow looked and said, wait a minute, there's parts of this I don't believe and I don't get politically and that doesn't make me a worse Christian for that. And it seems to me the, the movement of the, the, the moral majority is a, is a tributary off the pathway and all the canoes kind of got bottled up at the end of the tributary and they said, now what do we do? Politics is not the main thing. And when the church messes with politics, like the Catholic Church and the popes did for thousands of years in Europe, creating a holy Roman Empire, which any good historian knows was neither holy nor Roman nor much of an empire. When the church exercises political authority, the church is out to lunch. It's not what we do. It's not who we are. It's not the main thing. And preachers are not the main thing. This is Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was very famous at the turn of the 20th, uh, 19th to the, the 20th century. He was a baseball player who had a, a, a beaming voice and, and, and he's good looking and he was kind of chiseled and cut. He was an athlete, so people liked it. Billy had a calling at a youth event in Chicago, I believe. And after that, he got up and preached at revival after revival and stadium after stadium and event after event. And people thought, this is it, the second coming of Jesus. It's Billy Sunday. He's something else. Name for the day that's most important. 
But preachers fade. Every time preachers fade. We've been privileged in our time to be able to celebrate Dr. Graham, Dr. Billy Graham. What a marvelous, marvelous message he had. The staying power through three generations of listeners. The impact he made. A man like Billy Graham and his message of the gospel and people coming to Christ is maybe once in a generation and he was it. But the list of also rans, the list of preachers who come and go, guys who are on TV for so long and they have this huge message and this huge following and all of a sudden they're going from channel 4 to channel 56 to channel 20 to a YouTube station to a Twitter account. They're gone. Billy Sunday's revivalistic ministry became a, a, a huge machine, a business. And when it became a business, Billy was taken away from the word and had to work much harder keeping the business going forward. And then he had problems with his children, which preachers have sometimes. Following popular preachers who can fill up stadiums for a generation is not the main thing. And so we come now with those three things in our mind. We, we come back to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. We, we, we come back into the main thing, to, to what it's all about. Not to preachers with expiration dates or politicians who are trying to create their own places of uh, influence, nor the coolest, newest Christian trend. But coming back to John chapter 3, to the Bible, to the Word, to what is, to the, main, to the main thing. Because I believe the main thing is harder and passage down the main channel of the river of faith is more difficult than paddling up some tributary. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. So something stirred in Nicodemus' heart in John chapter 3. What is it? I'm not, I'm not sure. Maybe he had heard about the wedding in Cana where all of a sudden they were drinking this Ripple or Thunderbird or Mad Dog 2020. And Jesus comes in and all of a sudden they've got gallons and gallons and gallons of California Napa Valley cow. Even before there was one grapefruit, grapevine planted in Northern California. I just think Jesus and the whole place smelled like wine. It was beautiful. People are salivating. They're going, how did Jesus ever pair this with his unreal? And maybe one person told a person told a person. That got back to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus said, hmm. Or maybe Nicodemus heard Jesus speak in the synagogue. And Jesus spoke as one who had this profound authority. He didn't need to say, well, rabbi said, and rabbi said, and rabbi said. Jesus stood up and said, truly, truly, I say to you. So Nicodemus comes up. And he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. And then Jesus engages him in this kind of bizarre conversation. Yeah, uh, if you're not born again, then you can inherit the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, I just want to know whether you're an insurrectionist politician, the Messiah, or just a nice preacher. And, and, and then Jesus moves again. He says, well, it's about being born again of the water and the spirit. And you can almost see Nicodemus go. Oh, 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 oh. And I just want to know, just j don't give me all this stuff. Tell me the truth and be clear. So Nicodemus says, 
So Jesus says, oh man, I was doing so good. I was right on. What are you up to? One more, one more, go, guy, go. There it is, John 3, 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. He goes from this fuzzy, vague thing to water in the word to a, a huge piece of Jewish history. When the snakes came up and the people got uptight and Moses said, now what do we do? And they said, well, fashion a bronze cross and the snake and put it on. People who look to the cross will live, the rest will die, and we'll see how it goes. And, and, and that was a part of the history. So then Nicodemus said, again, like his eyes are speaking, he said, well, I get that story. But Jesus, if you could be just one, one more tick of focus towards clarity, I would be really pleased if that would really happen, if you would stop talking around this and get to the main thing. And so Jesus got to the main thing. Let's read the main thing together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's the main thing. If we're here for the preacher, we're crazy. If we're here for the political influence, then we're short-sighted. If we're here because it's trendy, then I'll see it in another church in about 10 years when ours kind of... This is the main thing. The love of God for us in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world. That's the main thing. And the moment we move away from the main thing, Christianity becomes kind of a trite little good luck thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The main thing is about God's love for the world, for you and me. It's about a love that never dies and never grows old. You never roll over and God says, well, today I'm going to put it on you. I don't love you anymore. It's a love that sees us from birth and baptism to death and heaven and eternal life. Notice eternal life is mentioned twice in this text. In 17 verses that you would have life eternal, giving us a vision through God's love for something bigger and grander than a kingdom here, a life forever with God in heaven. The main thing moves us beyond our sin to grace, from brokenness to healing, from being lost to being found, from being excluded to being included, from being ridden with guilt to being released from sin, to being naked with shame, to being covered in the robe of the sacrifice of the Son of Man who came to seek and to save, which was lost. And the way of Jesus is not a trendy way. The way is not always the way of popularity. Ask Christians in California how popular Christianity is with the government and with the culture. And if that doesn't make the hair on the back of your neck stand up, then think about Christians in Saudi Arabia and Iraq and Iran and Egypt. The difficulty of that, to me, demonstrates the veracity of the arguments for Christianity. Because it's not easy. It's hard. In our home and our family, we taught our kids to do hard things. Because doing hard things forges character. Paul says character leads to hope. And hope does not disappoint us. That's the main thing. The love of Jesus for you and me. 
And that verse 17 there, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. When I speak of that cultural divide between my generation and my children's generation, I would have done better as a young person to memorize John chapter 3, verse 17 before I did verse 16. Because the message for a generation, or maybe more, has been God comes to condemn. God came down and boy, is he ticked off. He's angry at sinners. He's angry at politicians. He's angry at criminals. God is mad just in general. And when I grew up, I thought God was angry like my grandpa Klinkenberg, who would walk around kind of mumbling. Like, why do I want to go to heaven? I got to live with Grandpa Klinkenberg forever? Are you kidding me? Are you nuts? <laughs> Unreal. And then you see that God did not send Christ into the world, his own son, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Week after week, I look at that window, and I put that window into a 21st century context. And this was a woman at a well who was broken, hurting, lost, excluded. Who would be that person today? That Jesus would not condemn, but that who he would love unconditionally and draw close to himself. How many people lost and broken walk by that window every single day and wonder who in the world that lady is? There's a part of me that should stand on that sidewalk and say, my dear friend, that lady represents you and me. For God so loved the broken, the needy, the hurting. Not to put the finger of his perfection on the sore of our sin and make us hurt. But to cover our hearts with the balm of his love. With forgiveness and grace for you and me. And that dear lady. And all who walk by our campus. All those with whom we live. And all those who we rub shoulders with. One of my favorite books One of my favorite books is called Unchristian. And if you have kids who are far away from the faith, you may want to read this book. It'll soften you up towards your kids in a whole different way. The two guys uh, interviewed about 30,000 young people about 15 years ago. So the kids who they interviewed are now in their early to mid-30s. And it's just a fantastic book. Two gems from this book that I'd like to share with you. And if you want these later, you can email me and I'll send them to you. I can get it to come up. There we go. David Kinneman writes, when Christians live out what the Bible teaches, we have an influence on our culture as salt does on food or as light reveals a dark room. Maybe it's not about political power or being so influential over people, but living with and in a community that is filled with grace and love. The second gem is right here. We are, Christians are, actively representing Christ to a needy world. As we go about our daily lives with stale religion being pushed aside, God's words and actions flow out of us. The Son of Man did not come to condemn the world, but that the world may be saved through Him. Love that peace. And as I engage with people who disagree with me, whether it's culturally, politically, or in theologically. Instead of condemning, how are our words filled with encouragement and maybe questions more than declarative statements telling them what they should do and how they should feel? So what do you remember? 
keep the main thing, the main thing. For God so loved the world. For God so loved Nicodemus. For God so loved our country. For God so loved our congregation. For God so loved this gathering of dear, dear people. For God so loves you. Humans are able to remember. And on a memorial day, when we remember the sacrifices of so many, we're reminded of what inspires and motivates and the very best of humanity. Keep the main thing the main thing. For God so loved you. Amen? Amen. Please join me in prayer. Lord, it is good to be together this morning. It's good to be in this beautiful place. It's, it's good to have architecture that reminds us of the main thing. It's good to have hymns that remind us of the main thing, of scriptures that lead us to the main thing. Bless us, Lord, and we've gone up those tributaries to turn around and find that main channel, to move the canoe or the boat of our life into a way that's in alignment with the main thing. Grant us opportunities to talk and love and care for those who disagree with us or those with whom we struggle on whatever level. Open our hearts in a way that they've maybe never seen before, in a way that makes us vulnerable and open and is a little scary, but that also brings life and exhilaration and encouragement. Let your word have its way in your people's heart this morning, Lord. I pray that your spirit would continue to bring to mind the, 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 the truths and the realities the love that comes from this text to us today. Bless it to continue to sit in our hearts and lead us in the way of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.